morning, everybody. How are you today? Thanks for braving the cold. It's the coldest day of the decade. Did you know that? It's freezing out there. And you made it, so thank you. And welcome to, we're going to continue this series called It's Complicated. We're basically, we're talking about all the things that you don't really want to talk about. Okay, so hey, it makes everybody happy. And uh, also today we're celebrating baptisms at all of our services. And so uh, we've got someone getting baptized even here later on this service. And it's so cool to, to experience that together and, and praise God for the life change that we see. So, but today in our series, It's Complicated, we're talking about how do I think about money? And this is like, you don't like to talk about this at work or with your friends or especially with your family or especially at church. And so uh, whether you're a Christian or not, it's just like, oh, I don't want to talk about money. I definitely don't want to be talking about money at church because here's what I know. I know that some of you guys, like I see, you know, you're trying to raise some more money so you can plant this Morris campus and you're going to try to beg me to give you my money or to give you more of my money. And uh, I know this because this is the same way I feel like when I have to go to the doctor, okay? You go to the doctor, they run all these tests and they're like, oh, take some Tylenol, and then they send you the bill, and you're like, oh my gosh, what did I pay for, right? No offense if you're a doctor, but I got a Get Well Soon card several years ago, and like, I don't even hang up Christmas cards, but I hung up this Get Well Soon card on my refrigerator for like three years until we moved, because it was so funny. But it's this picture, these, this doctor's training like his resident, and he says, all right, that was pretty good, but we don't actually say ka-ching in front of the patients, right? Has anyone ever felt like that? That's how I feel sometimes. And this is what I know. Some people, maybe you, you think like this when you come to church and the church or a pastor is talking about money. Because you're like, he's just going ka-ching. You know, we can build this next campus. We can expand our budget because he's just trying to raise money. And please hear our heart as as a church. And my heart uh, as a pastor is I really believe how you think about money is not a church fundraising issue. It is a spiritual growth issue that uh, what we're going to see today is uh, the way you handle your finances, the way you can even choose to honor God with your money, how you spend your money, how you give your money, uh, will change your life, and God will meet you in that in really sweet ways. And so even though it can be scary, it can be intimidating, uh, we're going to talk about it. So maybe you're here this morning because your friend or relative is getting baptized later, and you're like, this is exactly why I quit going to church, or this is why I didn't want to come to church, because the pastor's always talking about money. But we feel like it would be a bigger disservice to all of us if we chose not to talk about money because uh, it has such powerful implications on your walk with God. So uh, we're going to get into it. Here's the thing. Jesus talked about money a lot. If you grab notes in the back and you're taking notes, that's the first blank. Jesus talked about money a lot. I wonder if even when he was walking around, people were like, oh, here comes Jesus. He's going to start talking about money again. You know, everybody run. Like, because this is what he was known for. Here's a couple of quick stats. If you read and count in the Gospels, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. That's crazy. Because he talked about heaven and hell quite a bit. He was telling people, you're going to go to hell, and I came to get you to heaven. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. But more than he talked about those subjects, he talked about money. And if you count, like he had, he told stories to make, them, to make lessons for people, to teach lessons through stories, and we call them parable. Eleven of the 39 of Jesus' parables talked about money. Jesus talked about money a lot. And here's why. Jesus knows that for many of us, money is the number one competitor for your heart. And God wants you to love him with all your heart. And money, for a lot of us, is the easiest area of our heart, the easiest area of our life to keep from God, to 
grip tight, to not surrender, to be selfish in. And I can surrender my relationships, and I can talk about, you know, other areas of my life. But money, Jesus knows for a lot of us, is the number one competitor for our heart. So he talked about money a lot. In fact, here's one of the things he said in Matthew 6. Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he probably could have t- like picked a variety of topics of things that we kind of put in God's place, but he chooses money. And he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. What he says is, you can either worship and make money your God, or you can worship and make me your God. Jesus knows that money for a lot of us, especially as Americans, is the number one competitor for our heart. So he talked about it a lot, and we feel like we've got to talk about it. Not so we can get more money from you, but so that you can give more of your heart and your life to God and see him move and grow in, in greater ways. So I was thinking, like, why is this topic so complicated? Here's why we put it in this series to talk about it's complicated. And uh, the first is our culture is really bad at money and stuff, money and things, money and our possessions. You live in an American culture. We are, we are just consumed by the things that we have and the things that we want to have, the things that we own and, and our jobs and our bank accounts. And, and uh, as Americans, as a culture, I'm not saying this is you, but this is who you're surrounded with, we are greedy and spoiled people. And those things often go together, right? The people you know that are the most spoiled are probably the most greedy. The people, you know, that uh, have less probably expect less. And, like, this is just what we're surrounded with. And so in America, we see many, like, most Americans statistically are living beyond their means. They're spending more money than they actually make, which is fun for a while until you start feeling the stress and the anxiety of the debt that you've piled up. And this is the, the number one cause of divorce The number one struggle for marriages is finances because it is so deeply rooted in everything else that happens in your life. And so our culture is just really bad at this. Because of this reason, since my kids were little, I constantly am telling them how rich we are because, like, we are loaded, okay? And I'm always just reminding our kids, like, because I know what happens. They're going to go to school and see someone who has better shoes or a newer, you know, uh, game system or an iPhone, and I want one of those. And, and uh, our culture, we mourn what we don't have rather than being grateful for what we have. That's who you're surrounded with. Advertising and the people we live with, this is, this, is, this is the culture that we get wrapped up in if we're not careful. We focus more on what we don't have than what we actually have. And I know my kids will experience that. So I just started when they were young just convincing them, like, you guys, we are so rich. And they didn't know better when they were little. They didn't know, like, the, the value of a dollar. So they just like, wow, we're, we're loaded, right? And so even now I'm telling them how rich we are. And so I'm always looking for little things to show how rich we are. Because if, if we go to school or work and compare ourselves with other people or we watch Mark marketing and media and what we don't have, we'll feel like we don't have enough. We'll feel poor. But if you compare yourself with like the rest of the world, you'll see how good you have it. So like after dinner, we got to clean up, clean the kitchen, and we have to put away food because we are so rich. We have too much food. We can't even eat it at one meal, right? And we have like, we eat every single day, like three times a day. A lot of people around the world don't eat every single day or three times a day. And here we are after our third meal putting some in the fridge to save for later because we couldn't eat it all at once because that's how rich we are, you know? Like sometimes I complain if my mattress isn't comfortable enough and I have to realize I am so loaded I sleep on a mattress because there's a lot of people in this world, many in this country, they don't have a mattress. And I get worried about if it's too firm or not firm enough, right? Like, we're loaded. We are rich people when we think about it. I'm so rich, I got more clothes at home than I'm not wearing. I will wear clean clothes tomorrow. I don't have to rewear this. 
Not everybody has that kind of an advantage. When you see it that way, you can say, I want to be grateful for what I have. So I'm just trying to convince my kids how rich we are, okay? Please don't tell them if you make more money than me, they think we're loaded, okay? And so... But our culture doesn't think that way. And it's easy to get wrapped up in that. And it warps our perspective on money and our perspective on God. The second thing is, we don't sense our need for God as Americans. Now, maybe if you were born 200 years ago, or if you lived in another country, you might just be more aware that there is a God and that you need this God in a deep and personal way. But in America, we trust ourselves, we trust our income, we trust our savings account, we, we trust our retirement plans, and I can take care of myself. And really, for the most part, you can. And so we just just get numb to the idea that there is a God and that we would ever need him. Well, I don't need God. I can take care of myself. And we miss out on seeing God at work around us, his fingerprints in our lives, because we just don't sense our need for God. 2,000 years ago, humans had the exact same problem. So Jesus said this in Matthew 19, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not saying because I don't like rich people. He's just saying because the more you have, the less you sense a need for God. And this, in America, is our problem. We're surrounded in a culture that has so much, and we can take care of ourselves, that we just miss out on the fact that we need God. The third thing is, and this is just for, like, Christians, but, like, if you're a Christian, you might already know this, but the whole idea of giving and tithing is debated even amongst churches and, and Christians, that you'll have people say, well, you should give to God. Well, how should I give, or how much should I give? And you'll have people who say, you have to give this much, or you're not a good Christian. And you'll have other people say, that doesn't matter. And you'll have people argue things like really smart Christian people get in arguments like this, right? Like, well, uh, the Old Testament, Moses said that you, God, God gave them this law that they have to give 10%, and that's like a lot of money if you look at what you make in a year and start giving 10% of it away. But thanks to Jesus, we don't have the Old Testament law. We have a new covenant, and so we, we don't have to give God 10% anymore because that was for the Israelites. That doesn't apply to us, and it's sometimes very confusing. And what applies to us? And so even in church and as Christians, we debate it, which makes us just feel uncomfortable and confused, and it is a complicated thing. So I want to show you one more thing that Jesus said. And this is a powerful statement. Maybe you've heard it. It applies in so many areas of our life. But here's what he said in John 10, 10. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And this is awesome because we know that Jesus came so that we can believe in him and have eternal life. And a lot of Christians just kind of say, well, when I die, I'll go to heaven and I'll have eternal life. And that's a sweet deal. We couldn't get that on our own. You're going to live forever somewhere, heaven or hell. Thank you, Jesus. We can go to heaven. But as if that wasn't enough, he said, and I want to offer you life to the full. The New Living Translation says it like this. Uh, I have come to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus is saying it's not just about when you die, you'll have eternal life. But on this life, I can meet you and give you joy and satisfaction and peace about life that you cannot have apart from me. And that Im impacts your relationships. It impacts so many things, but it definitely impacts your finances. That God doesn't want you to be stressed out and anxious and getting divorced and crying because of how you manage your money. And he wants to meet you in that. Here's why it's so complicated. Our culture gives us this myth that satisfaction comes from having lots of money. Our culture and every advertisement you see says you need to make more money so you can have bigger that, more of this, better that. And we're convinced, if we are not careful, this lie that satisfaction is all about having lots of money. But you know this isn't true from experience. 
Because if you've ever made a little more money, it didn't necessarily make you more happy. Usually it's the opposite. There's so many examples that you can see in your personal life or, you know, on, through media that we know that having lots of money doesn't equal satisfaction, but it seems like it will. A better way, what's true is this. Satisfaction comes from honoring God with your money. And that's what we want to talk about today, is that could we just switch in our minds this idea that whatever you own, whatever you make, your income, your stuff, your possessions, your finances is an area of your life where you could actually choose to honor God. And when you do, it will change your life. You could make less and be more satisfied. This is what Jesus wants for you, a rich and satisfying life. It will change your life. Can you imagine that you would think this way, the way you make money, the way you spend money, the way you use money, the way you borrow money, the way you give money, everything about the way you use and manage your money could be a way that you honor your heavenly father. That you would say, the way I manage my finances makes God proud. I love this idea that God would watch us like our daddy and be proud of us. And, and I think that's true in all areas, including our finances. And could you manage your money the way you use, spend, make, give, all this in a way that would make God known. That the way you use your money and make your money would actually make God proud and make God known. When we think about it that way, I think it's going to unlock some things, maybe for you, that you've never experienced in your relationship with God. So real quick, here's some questions that I threw down, and there's probably better ones or more of them, but just a few questions to help us think about how could I get this mindset of I'm going to honor God with my finances. So the first one is this. Does what I spend my money on make God proud? Can you imagine if whenever you purchase something, the way you spent money, that you would just pause and say, is this something that God would be glad that I own, glad that I'm investing in? Is this a purchase that God would be proud of? And uh, it, it, I'm not saying that we should never spend money and we should always feel guilty. That's not the point. But just asking that question will shift in our minds this idea that God would approve. God would bless this decision. God would bless me for honoring him because of what I spend money on. If you're a Christian, I believe that whatever you have comes from God. It's his anyways. You're managing his money. So really, I ask myself this question does how I spend God's money make him proud, right? Like if I gave you $100,000 and told you to spend it wisely, and then I came after you one day to see what you did with it, you know, then you'd have to like give me an account. This is how I see managing whatever God, whether God gives you little money or a ton of money, he's asking you to, to actually spend it well, okay? Here's another question. Does how I spend money honor God? And this is different than what I buy. This is how I manage my money, how I spend my money, that you can be wise or you can be careless and that would you ever actually just pause and say, is this a wise decision? Is this a wise investment? Is this a, a wise purchase, a wise borrow? And just asking that question, and, and I don't know the answer for every situation, but I don't know if you think like that, or even more than just, is this wise? But would you say, I'm going to pause before I make this purchase or this investment or borrow this money and, and pray about it. And I'm going to invite God into this decision. I'm going to ask God to speak to me because I don't want to manage his money poorly. I don't want to just act like it's all mine. I can do whatever I want. I want to invite God into how I manage the money, okay? Another question is, am I generous? And you can be generous in so many ways, just to your fellow man, you know, uh, at work. You can support agencies and missionaries. And uh, the New Testament especially is clear on generosity. Jesus and the Apostle Paul and all the, uh, the New Testament writers, they talk about being generous people, being giving people, being a blessing to other people with who you are and what you have. And um, here's the sad truth. The wealthiest areas of the world are the least generous people. And the people in the world who have the, the least 
amount of money are actually the most generous. And it's true if you look at different states in America, different countries around the world, wealthy people struggle with generosity. Poor people are great at it and they've got less to give anyways. Uh, I grew up and I would always just have heroes, right? Like people that I know, that I look up to, that I just want, I want to be like them, I want to spend time with them. And as I got older, I started to realize all of my heroes are like the most generous people I know. So growing up, I was really close with my grandpa. And my grandpa, he just loved the Lord and he was a blessing to people. And, and I, 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 I'm a Cubs fan because he's a Cubs fan. I drink black coffee because he drank. I want to do everything like my grandpa. But you know what? He was the most generous person I've ever met. He would help you, give to you, you know, bless anybody he could, church, missionaries, whatever. Whatever he had was for blessing other people. And he had so much joy. People wanted to be around him because he led a rich and satisfying life by giving away everything he owned. I've had friends who have very little and they live that way. It's not because you have so much that you can be generous. Some of my favorite people are people who don't actually have that much, but they live very, very generously. There's a guy who was from this church. His name's Carl Carlson. Some of you know him. And I was fortunate enough to look up to him and hang out with him as a kid because he was close to my parents. And I loved that guy. And he was so generous. And he had so much joy. And God used him in so many ways. And I was like, I want to be like him. And I started to realize all of my heroes and favorite people are people who are just using what they have to bless God and bless other people. That's what I want to be like. So ask the question, am I generous? Here's another question. Does God want me to take on more debt? And I don't know the answer. It's not like a right or wrong. Some people would say all debt is evil. Don't ever take, you know, don't even borrow a dollar for lunch. Some people would say, no, you can, you know, manage and borrow wisely and, you know, make calculated decisions. And so I'm not trying to argue which one of those is right. But here's what I believe. God doesn't want you to be crippled and anxious by debilitating debt. And if you're constantly living beyond your means, it's going to catch up with you eventually. And so if that's something that you struggle with, because statistically, most Americans struggle with that, and it can be crippling. Uh, we're launching a, a, a new course called Financial Peace University. You may have heard of it. About 6 million people have taken this course over several years. Not all here. We've offered it like eight or nine times here, but uh, worldwide, like 6 million people. And it's all about getting out of debt, managing your money well, planning for retirement. But it's all based on godly principles to say that we honor God with our money. And it's life-changing, and it's freedom, and marriages have been saved. So I just wanted to let you know that that is coming in like two weeks weeks. And so if you're like, that might be something I'm interested. That might be good for us. There's a table right as you walk out. You might sign on your way in for financial peace where you can ask questions. You could choose to sign up. It's launching in a couple weeks. It's like a nine-week course, and it just might be exactly what you need to start thinking and managing money right. Last question is this. Do I give back to God? Now, this is it goes with generosity, but generosity can be lots of different ways, uh, but specifically giving back to God. And through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this idea that we give to God through his church. So in the Old Testament, they would bring their sacrifices and their gifts to the temple. In the New Testament, they would have collections uh, when they worshiped at their churches. And, and that's why every Sunday we kind of pass the buckets because we want to be people who give back to God. And we do that through the local church. And this is where, honestly, as Christians, sometimes we, we just, you know, we hurt people's feelings and, and, and we feel like we're begging for money as churches all the time. But this is not about if you give so much, you're a better Christian, or God doesn't love you unless you give so much. But I want to tell you what I see. So I was raised, and um, that same grandpa who I just loved, I would mow his yard, and he would give me $10. And man, I was like the richest kid on the block with my $10, right? And he would tell me when he paid me, 
okay, I'm going to give you $10 to mow my yard. You need to give one of those at church on Sunday. And since I was a little kid, before I ever had a real job, I was just taught and, and, and brought up with this practice of giving God what we call a tithe. The idea of a tithe is this idea of giving God your best and giving God your firsts. Okay? When they would raise crops, they would give first fruits to God. Um, ranchers in the Old Testament would sacrifice or redeem the firstborn of their flocks. And it's this idea of giving God your best and giving God right at the top of your first. And we call this a tithe. And I was raised that a tithe is 10%. In the Old Testament, it's commanded in the law that 10% is what you give as a tithe. Now, Jesus changed a lot of the old law that doesn't necessarily apply to us because, you know, like you used to have to talk to a priest and he would talk to God for you. But because of Jesus, we can talk just to God anywhere at any time because he changed our access to God. And so people then, I remember as I grew up, people were like, you don't have to tithe 10%. You know, you're not an Israelite. You're not living like 6,000 years ago. You don't have to get a guy at anything. You got Jesus. You got access to God. You don't have to purchase it. Doesn't make you a better Christian. I'm like, that's really interesting. So I remember um, I kind of wanted to study it for myself. And sure enough, I see that in the Old Testament, 10% is a real thing. But then I see in the New Testament where the, the idea of an exact amount is never written. But Jesus affirms the tithe. And he tells his followers, you're right to tithe. You should do that. And then I see the Apostle Paul say that we should per, put aside a percentage of our income. And he never puts a, a, a number on it. But clearly the same idea of giving to God first at the beginning of the week, setting it aside based on what you make. And so I'm like, okay, this still kind of sounds like the tithe. So is it 10% or can I just give 1% or do I, you know, what is it? And here's where I came down. Jesus came and he ushers in a new covenant that we have complete access, real relationship with God, different than we ever had because of the one-time, all-time sacrifice of Jesus. And really, in a lot of ways, uh, he ups the commitment level. And so he says to people, you've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, don't even have anger in your heart or you're guilty of that sin. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, don't even look at a woman lustfully or you're guilty of that sin. Now, I don't want to just try to assume everything Jesus would have said on all topics, but I see that Jesus asks for more commitment and offers more closeness with God. And so I'm like, okay, if he's kind of like building off the law and asking us to know and follow him even more, I feel weird giving less than what was required. That was like the bare minimum. So when my wife and I got married, we decided we're going to tithe 10% of our income because we feel like that honors God. And that's just where we came down on the issue. That's what I see in Scripture. And so we decided we're going to tithe 10%. Then somebody challenged us with this idea. Well, if 10% was the minimum, you know, here I am. I'm patting myself on the back. I feel like God is so lucky to have me because I'm giving 10% of my first job out of college, right? Like the church is going to grow on the back of my gifts. And so someone said, but 10%, that... What if that's like, that's what they had to give. That wasn't because they wanted to. That's because they had to. What if you gave more than 10%? And so we thought about it. And we prayed about it. And when we were first married, we had two jobs and no kids. And we're like, you know what? We could probably give even more gratefully to God. Let's raise that amount. Let's give more than 10%. So we kind of prayed about it, came up with a number, and we, and, and we kind of made this commitment in our hearts before God. And we wouldn't know it. Within two weeks, my car died. And we're like car shopping and taking out of our savings. And um, before I had my fourth anniversary, we had three children. And so we're like, holy cow, we are broke. Now we're living on one income. We got all these mouths to feed and money is really, really tight. And then a few years later, I lost my job. 
and I, we still got like three babies under the age of two. And uh, we're like, now like we don't even, we might lose our house. We didn't even have another, another job lined up. I'm like going on unemployment for the first time in my life. It was scary and it was hard. And I remember we started having these conversations. Like one time we talked about, well, what if we didn't tithe on our gross, but we just tithe on the net? Because the government gets there. That's not really our money anyways. And I was like, you know what? I, I just feel like I'd rather, I want to give to God first. So I'm going to give him that before the government takes their part. And I know that would save us a few dollars and money's really tight, but let's just honor God with that. And then I remember we had this conversation. Do you tithe on unemployment? You didn't even work. This is, you're literally living off of charity. And we're like, maybe we should, like, this doesn't even pay our bills. Let's, we, we need this money. And we thought about it, we prayed about it, and we're like, we're going to keep tithing even on unemployment. And that's just where we, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That's where we came down because I just thought, I want to make sure I'm honoring and trusting God. Because at the end of the day, who do I want to put my faith in? Myself and my ability to provide or the God of the universe who knows what I need and loves me intimately. And here's what we saw. We saw God provide for our needs and, we, and all along our, our marriage we've seen this in, in unexpected and amazing ways to where to this day I can't quite tell you how we kept our house and paid our bills, but we did. I mean, there was several times where we got a check in the mail, like an anonymous, some punk made a money order so we couldn't even say thank you. The only person we could say thank you to was God. And I think it was God saying, see, I will be faithful to you since you've been faithful to me. And we used that to like buy groceries and pay our bills. And that happened a couple, two or three times to us. And I'm just like, God, I'd rather make money, but I'm so glad that you're faithful. And I don't want to trust myself and my ability to provide. I would rather put my faith in my God. And so with my finances, I'm going to say, God, I want to do whatever I can to honor you. We have this conversation. Do we go back? Like if 10% is the minimum, what if we back it off? We'd have a little bit money for more money. And there's no verses where you say you got to give more than 10% or you can never go backwards. But we just had this feeling and this conviction. We're like, I don't want to go backwards on our commitment to God. We kind of made that commitment. So we're going to keep it at that percent and never go backwards. And so in the hardest times, we just tried to lean hard heart into God, and, and he has been faithful. And I don't know where that hits you this morning, if you're like a giver or not a giver, or wondering how much you should give, or how you should give. I would just invite you to pray about it. Talk to your spouse about it. Talk to your small group about it. Study scripture for yourself, and just ask God the question, what would you have me give back to you? And whatever you feel like he's putting on your heart, that you would be brave enough and bold enough to actually go after it that you would make a commitment in your heart and say, God, I want to give back to you whatever seems like it is the most honoring to you, and I'm going to trust you. Because at the end of the day, I believe God can do more with my other 90% than I could do with the whole 100%. And I've seen it happen. I always use this little story of this boy who had like, like a couple fish and a loaf of bread, and then there was like, like 5,000 hungry people, and Jesus takes it and somehow multiplies it to feed everybody, and they had leftovers, okay? And I'm just like, okay, God, if you can multiply, you know, a gift that we give to you, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to honor you first with a tithe that's my first and my best, and I'm going to let you bless what's left over instead of trying to control it all myself. Here's the bottom line for today. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. But he knows that for many of us, the number one competitor for your heart is your finances. It's the easiest area to keep from him, to keep tight-fisted. And he says, if you can trust me with your money, then you'll trust me with everything. And to make this point, he, tells, uh, he says this. And back where we started, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal. He's like, you can invest in this life and these things, but it's temporary. 
Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and seal, which is eternal. And he's like, you can, you can choose to invest your life, your ability, your stuff, your, your, your treasure in temporary things or eternal things. And, and, you know, making purchases and enjoying this life is not wrong. You can honor God with that. He's given to you to, you know, to live. And so that's not bad. But he says, but keep an eye on eternity because that's where you're putting it in a once and forever kind of investment that you will always be proud of. But then I love what he closes with. The next verse, he says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a promise from Jesus that where you invest your treasure, your heart will follow. If you've ever invested in like a friend's startup or the stock market, and then you find yourself checking it all the time, it's because once you put your treasure there, your heart follows. And if you want to grow closer to God, start trusting him with your treasure, and he will get your heart. God doesn't need or want your money, but he wants your whole heart. He wants to reveal himself to you and be close to you and move in your whole heart. He wants you to love him with all your heart. And so he says, I don't need your money, but I want your heart. And the hardest area for many of us is to trust and give to God with our money, with our treasure. I love this promise. Where your heart is, your heart, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So just a few weeks ago, right over here, like in the front row, because we came in late and got the cheap seats, um, my daughter brought two bucks to throw on the offering. And we like, we talked about it before church and, and after she gave, I like high fighter her because she had like a babysitting gig where somebody paid her 20 bucks. And we're like, just like my grandpa did to me, we're trying to teach her at a young age when it's only two bucks instead of thousands of bucks. Hey, you should give back to God and here's how we do it. And this is what we believe. And so she brought her two bucks and she put them in and I'm high-fiving her during the service and she's like embarrassed and why is this such a big deal? Here's the reason. It's not because the church desperately needs her two bucks to keep the lights on, right? We're not building the Morris campus with her two dollars. God doesn't need her $2, but as her father, I want her to honor and follow and trust God with all of her heart. And I know, especially as an American, that as she grows up, maybe the hardest area of her life to trust God might be with her money. And as a young person, that she would start saying, I trust God and I honor God with the first of what I make, and then I live on the rest. I am so excited for what God can do in her heart if she lives that way. It ain't about the two bucks. It ain't about what you give. It's about your heart. This is what God wants for you. So as we wrap up, I put three questions on there. You can ask God and pray this prayer. How can I honor you with my money? And invite him into that area of your life. How you spend, how you give, everything, and just let him speak. Ask for wise help if you need it. If you need help budgeting or digging out of debt, Financial Peace University might be a great thing for you to check out, okay? Ask for wise help if you need it. And then ask this very brave, very daring question. Ask God what he would have you give back to him. And then actually make that commitment in your heart with your spouse, with your family, whoever you, you, know, you do finances with, and go after it and say, God, this might not even make sense on paper, but if this is what you asked for me, I'm going to give it to you first. I want to bring you my best. I want to honor you with this, and I will trust you to take care and provide and multiply in ways that I can't anyways. And would you be brave enough to go after that? If the world actually saw Christians living out this idea of the tithe, it might be the most radical, powerful witness that we've ever had. Because money speaks. It goes a long ways in people's mind. And if they actually saw hundreds of Christians who say, instead of living on 115% of what I make, like most of America, I'm going to live on 90% of what I make, which doesn't even make sense. 
but God is good. I trust God. I actually feel better. I'm more, I'm living a rich and satisfying life by honoring God this way. That would send a loud and clear message to the world. In fact, I've always felt like the tithe might be the hardest thing for people to become a Christian. Like, okay, I trust Jesus and I'll even believe the story about the whale, but there's no way I can give 10% of what I, of what I make because the 100% is enough to start with. That might keep people from God until they see people who live it out. And they have a rich and satisfying life, honoring their God and seeing him move in their world. And they say, you know what? I guess I can trust God with my whole heart, even my wallet. That's a powerful, powerful thing. So my last thought is this, the the whole idea of a tithe. Jesus is God's tithe. That God, we talk about giving your best, giving your firsts, because he loved the world so much, gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And then Jesus gives us a little kicker and says, and a rich and satisfying life until then. It's a good deal. And God wants your whole heart. And so do whatever it takes to honor him with your finances and see what he does in your heart. I promise you will not regret it. And we get to celebrate this idea of eternal life right now with baptisms. All weekend during our services, we've got different people being baptized. We've got one person being baptized here today. And uh, on the screen, you'll see a video with several people just kind of briefly sharing their story of what God is doing in their heart. Your job uh, when they get baptized is just to scream and cheer and clap and praise, not only for their step of obedience, but for God at work in their life. So let's go ahead 